First is Psalm 119, verses 1 to 8, and Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. Psalm 119. Blessed are those they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in this, his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not, do not utterly forsake me. And then the second one is Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, James. Shall we pray? Father God, we pray that our thoughts and our hearts will be open to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I mean, I've... um, always found the sort of the topic of the law a bit of a challenge. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love, I love the law, particularly when I can apply it to other people. Um, so I have, a, I have a great sense of what other people should be doing, how they should be driving, how they should be behaving, whether they should be dropping litter, smoking, you know, whole range of other things, jumping in front of me in queues. That, that is a capital offence as far as I'm concerned. Um, obviously, I go to the front of the queue when I need to. Um, other people should be hung for it. Um, so, so when I saw that I'd been um, asked to preach on this passage, um, I wasn't sort of entirely sure uh, what to entitle it. Um, <clears throat> so I called it Avoiding the Law? Question mark, um, Because I think that's, if I'm honest, what I... I tend to do, and I certainly observe a lot of other people doing it, so I know all of you avoid the law on frequent occasions, but actually really it should be entitled fulfilling the law, 
because that's what Jesus is talking about. And that's the thing that I think is sometimes a bit of a struggle for us. How is the person who I think we often feel supersedes the law actually fulfilling it? What does he mean when he says this, uh, these comments in Matthew? Well, let's, let's have a little think. So, firstly, just to get the juices flowing, uh, is that how you think of the Old Testament and the New Testament? The Old Testament being a story of an angry, old, bearded, bald God. So I'm heading in a godly direction, clearly. Um, or the New Testament being a sort of somewhat androgynous, um, rather sort of, you know, blonde, very white, frankly a bit wet, Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I think my, my sort of relationship with both books um, has deepened and got more complex as I've got to know God a bit better. So I, I don't tend to think of them, or indeed of sort of God and Jesus, as being those sort of two very separate, rather different um, people, personalities. But that's quite a common conception. And you will often hear uh, people saying, well, you know, yeah, I think the God of the Old Testament, you know, he's bad, but Jesus, Jesus is okay. Now, what Jesus is basically saying to us is, well, you, you can't do that. God is not two separate people who were sort of somehow alive at different periods in human history. Neither of those pictures are good representations of God. And Jesus is trying to get us to engage with the, the complexity, if you like, of God. The fact that God is far, far bigger than we are and far too big, really, for our brains to comprehend. But he's saying, look, you have to have a bit of a go. Let's have a look at uh, the next slide. So, as I say, we often think of the law as being separate from God. The law being something that was handed down and stone tablets to Moses, written down uh, in the form of the books that are often referred to as the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, the Torah. Based on the old agreement with God, uh, which was all about complying with rules so that the Israelites could be fit to enter and stay in the promised land, and in a sense, if we follow those rules, that we can earn our place in heaven. And then the New Testament, often portrayed as an entirely new agreement with God, founded on God's grace and infinite love that completely replaces the old contract. So the old terms and conditions have been torn up, you've sacked plus net, and you've signed on with Sky. Old contract is gone, Lousy broadband, now you've got super-duper new, super-fast fibre and Usain Bolt in your living room. Might be a disadvantage, but at least you've got something new. That's how we often think about the Old and the New Testament. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not right. There is not a dichotomy, there's not a split, there's not a divide between the two. He says, I have come to fulfil the law. Let's have a look. So this is sort of the key bits from um, Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 17 through to 20. So he says, firstly, look, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. You can imagine what was going on. You know, here is Jesus. He's been saying some pretty radical things and doing some pretty extraordinary things. He's been breaking the Sabbath by raising people from the dead. He's been sitting down to eat with 
sinners, and worse than sinners, people who were acknowledged collaborators with the Romans. Now, that's hard for us to really imagine. But if you think about the sort of a group of people who are as diametrically opposed to your values as you possibly can, and then you imagine seeing through the window Jesus sitting down and having food with them. That's what Jesus did. And so the people around him were beginning to think, well, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe all this sort of pharisaical law is being ripped up. And he criticized the Pharisees. He said they were like empty graves. So he wasn't very kind to the Pharisees who really believed in the law and the prophets and tried very hard to comply with it. But now he's saying, no, no, don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he says, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law. So when is the law going to disappear? It's going to disappear when heaven disappears. When is heaven going to disappear? When God disappears. When is God going to disappear? He can't. So the law is not going to disappear. Not only is the law not going to disappear, but not the smallest letter or the smallest stroke of the pen will disappear from the law. And then he says, and this is the real kicker for each one of us, there is the law, unless our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So unless we are more expert than the experts, we will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Time for coffee. Perhaps something stronger might be required. Um, Because if that's where it stops, we're all toast. And... uh, the outlook is not, is not good for us, nor for anybody else in the world, but uh, we can no longer feel particularly superior or at all special uh, or safe if that's where it stops. Now, why, why on earth is Jesus saying this? Well, what he's talking about is he's actually talking about God's character and therefore, by definition, Jesus' character. He's talking about himself. That's why he's saying, I have come to fulfill the law. I am, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of the law. What the law says is what I am, Jesus is saying. Now that's quite a, quite a difficult sort of concept to, to grapple with because it, it sort of goes a bit against the grain of how we think about Jesus, I think, and how often we feel uh, the New Testament is portraying him. So let's see if we can unpack that a bit more. Have a look at the next slide. <clears throat> now, there's a, there's a really good... Um, Carl pointed out this really good website to me called... I think it's called the Bible Project. I think it might be .com, but I can't remember the dot .bit. But it's the Bible Project. And it's um, a, f- a couple of guys, well, a whole team of people, who have set out to produce sort of 
cartoons, videos, explaining quite difficult theological concepts. And there's actually one about um, the law and Jesus' relationship to it, which I watched uh, before doing this. It's really helpful, some of the sort of things that that are here have come from that. Um, So if you prefer visuals, I'd recommend uh, the Bible Project uh, as a a website to have a look at. And it's got quite a good cartoon that goes through the whole sort of history of the Old Testament, very, very quickly showing how it's actually not really about the law and the prophets, but it's actually much more an exploration of God's character. So the Torah, the Jewish Bible, was designed to give the Jews, and by implication us, a picture of what God is like. And of course it also shows us how humanity compares to God. And if you look, each time there's a sort of a a law, you get the Ten Commandments, and what do the Israelites do? They immediately break it. And you get more laws, and what do the Israelites do? They break it. You get promises from God, and then the Israelites go against him. And that's the pattern throughout all of the five books of the Pentateuch, and then on through the prophets as well. It's a repeated cycle of God saying, this is how I want you to be, and the Israelites not doing it. But at the very end of Deuteronomy, after Moses has walked through with the Israelites through the desert and through this repeated cycle of this is how you should be and then they do something different that repeated, repeated series of mistakes and sin and error and crime and and awfulness and Moses says I will proclaim the name in other words I will proclaim the character of God I'm just I'm dying. He knew he was dying. He knew he wasn't going to get into the promised land. And he just wanted to have one more go at explaining to this nation, this people, what God was really like. Because he just felt they hadn't really got it, even after all their experiences. I will proclaim the character of the Lord. He is the rock. He is the rock. He is, his works are perfect. And all his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong upright and just is he that Moses is saying is the character of God now if you begin then to think about the character of God and how we can sort of relate to God then you begin to understand the slight challenge that we face we're not like that. I don't know about you, but, you know, am I a rock? Well, yeah, sometimes. I changed a tyre yesterday. Oh, that was so manly. I felt like having a barbecue afterwards and killing some rabbits. But, um, but you know, sometimes I get a bit wobbly. Works perfect. Well, I haven't driven the car yet, so I don't know. And are all my ways just? Just draw a little veil over that. Sue is uh, in the room as well, but um, she might be able to give you a picture. Um, does no wrong, upright and just is he. Sorry, so I'm not that godly. So what do we do about that? Have a look at the next slide. Because we consistently break the law and we consistently behave in ways that God just wouldn't do. God would not behave like that. Psalm 119 that James read a little bit earlier. 
Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Oh, no, I've done it again. You can just hear the psalmist going, there's all these people out there who are steadfast and they're obeying your decrees and they're righteous and I'm not. I want to be. Romans 7, Paul, a great apostle writing to all the churches about sort of how to do Christianity is then saying, well, I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. Paul is saying that. And I think if I'm honest, I can certainly say that as well. I'm sure all of you can as well. Now, God wants us to be in union with him. The story of Genesis is all about how God started out wanting a perfect relationship with humanity. And it went wrong. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of history, is about God trying to repair that relationship, calling us back into relationship with him. That's what the the Israelite nation was all about. That's why they were the chosen people, because God was hoping that that nation would show the world what a relationship with God looked like. Didn't really work, but it was worth the attempt. God wants us to be in union with him. He wants us to be, as Paul describes it, the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. That's that's not a distant link... If I was your body and you were my head, we couldn't then sort of go to different parties, have different jobs, go to different places for sort of holidays. We would be completely united, utterly dependent. If you as the head stopped paying attention, I as the heart would just stop. If I as the heart stopped beating, you as the head would just die. So to be the body of Christ is not somehow to be sort of subordinated. It's not like a platform for Christ to perform on. It's intimately connected. That's that's the extent of the union that God wants with us. Just pause for a moment. That's extraordinary. We have this image of God as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's complicated enough. But the the extraordinary thing about that that idea of the Trinity is that God is in relationship. It's not a static, solid, there's God, there's everything else. It's God is love in relationship with himself. And he wants us to be in that relationship. Not God and then humanity. Not head and then sort of body detached. He wants us to be the body of Christ. Body, head, combined. You don't look at me and think, oh, Peter's head's talking again. wonder what his body thinks of that. Oh, look, his body's moving around. I wonder if his head wants to go that way. Oh, well, you do now because I've suggested it to you and you'll never be able to watch me preach again. But um, that's not how we look at people, is it? We look at them and those, there's John, there's Peter. God wants us to be that united with him. So that's the, that's the desire, that's the end game, but there's the punchline. We can't be united with God if we're not the same. It would be like trying to do a skin graft 
where the skin is not compatible with the body or trying to sew somebody's arm onto somebody else. It doesn't work if they're different. If we could somehow blend ourselves with God, what you would end up with would not be God because it would do things it didn't want to do. It would do bad things as well as good things. It would do unloving things as well as loving things. And that's not God. So we can't become part of this extraordinary Trinitarian dance of love if we stay as we are. That's the problem. Now the solution, of course, is Jesus. The next slide. The solution is Jesus fulfilling the law. So John 14, 19, 21, Jesus says, Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. On that day you will realise that you have become united with God. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. We will be in that loving relationship. United, combined with, no longer separate. That's what the story in Genesis is about. It's about that separation, that lack of communication, that barrier, our inability to properly relate to and be with God. And Jesus is saying, I can restore you to that. That's the the solution. Now, What do we do about this? How do we apply it? We have the next slide. Well, Jesus summarised the law in very, very simple terms. He said, love the Lord your God. But not just, yeah, God's quite nice. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Why? Why should we love God like that? Because God loves himself like that. That's what's going on between Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. They love each other, each of those personalities within the Trinity. God loves himself with all his heart, with all his soul and all his mind. All that he is, is love and it's all focused on him and on everything that he makes. That's why we are called to love the Lord our God like that. And it's both a a command to sort of, if you like, try and do that now, but it's also an explanation of where we will get to when we actually come into a full relationship with God. And as a consequence of that, we should do the other thing that God does. He loves the whole of creation. Unconditionally as if it is all incredibly important to him. He doesn't have love for himself, love for Christians, and then love for others. It's not like a grading system. It's just love. And he's saying, that's what we should have. Love your neighbour as yourself. And he goes on to explain what neighbour means, which is anybody and everybody. That's what we are being called to do 
by Jesus as the fulfilment of the law. And Paul wrote, just to drive the point home, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So if you want to be more righteous than the Pharisees, that's what you've got to do. So it's actually not complicated. It's very, very simple. It doesn't make it easy. Because if we try and do that on our own, if we try and do that as still separate from God, we will fail. Paul said, I want to do good, evil is always there with me. That is our human condition. But if we unite ourselves with God by accepting Jesus as our saviour, then we become empowered by God to be like God and to love in that extraordinary and unconditional way. So we are called to fulfil the law. Fulfilling the law is loving others in the way that God loves himself, the way that God loves us, the way that God loves all of creation. And so as that wonderful blessing says, just remind yourselves over the course of this week to go in peace, to love, and by doing that, to serve the Lord. And know that that is the fulfilment of the law because you will be becoming more Christ-like. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can be united with you. We can become part of that extraordinarily loving dance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, enfolding each one of us into that and empowering us to love others as you have loved us. May we see that in this coming week. In Jesus' name.